I'm glad you're here. Good to be together on the first day of the week on the Lord's Day. And if you're looking at your calendar, you might have noticed this morning that today is Pentecost. Pentecost. So one of the feasts that's mentioned in the Old Testament, and it's significant. We often think of it in connection with the church. And I thought it very fitting this morning to look at the scriptures and what the Bible has to say about the church and about Christ as the head of the church. Um, when you hear the word Pentecost, you might hear the word pente, meaning five, and then cost, meaning ten. Uh, so it's five tens, which is 50 days from Passover. It's been that long since Passover from Easter. So um, you think about it. It's just time has flown by, flown by and uh, it feels like yesterday we're out there hunting eggs in the yard. But um, now we've come to this. So if you're thinking about the history of the of of what's happening in the Bible, and you see Christ, and we think about His resurrection from the dead. And then we look 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, and you open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 2, you see what's often called the establishment of the church. This is the proclamation of Peter, where 3,000 people in one day came to faith in Christ and were baptized and had all their sins washed away. So when, I, when Pentecost comes around, I'm always thinking about that day. I'm thinking about that event. It always gets me excited to think about the book of Acts and to see faith growing and thriving. And we definitely want that in our life. And what we also want to look at this morning is who started the church. And it begins with Christ and what He's done. And He is the head of the church. It is Christ who bought the church with His blood. Acts 20 and verse 28. It is He who promised to build the church. The church is important. And a many who have taken the idea in church and have set it aside. I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. I want the head, but I don't want the body. And what we're going to see this morning is the Scriptures teach against that. In fact, we're going to see what the Bible has to say in regards to Christ being the head and being the the one who directs and has organized and has built and put the church together. His body, His people. Before we get into our study, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the blood of Christ that washes away our sins, that has bought us all who are living by faith and are a part of the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the community throughout the world as, as millions of people are assembling together in faith in the name of Jesus. We ask your blessings upon all. Father, may we constantly be reminded of the great gift that we have as a community and that we have built upon the gospel of Christ. Father, help us all to take up the mission of the church and to follow the instructions that you've given to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You pay attention to the news, and maybe some of these things escape the news, but there's a lot of strange things that have been going on uh, the last few years. So there's a lot of questions that come up, but when I think about those strange things, I'm thinking about specifically uh, different denominations, and I'm thinking about uh, the various churches out there. And if you paid close, close attention to the news, then you know that the United Methodist Church is no longer united or organized, and it's broken apart. You might have recently seen the same thing happening within the Lutheran churches. And so what's going on? I also know that among many Presbyterians, and I know there's a lot of contention within the Baptist churches, specifically the Southern Baptist churches, where there might be having a similar event in the years to come. What's happening? 
And what we're seeing is the world influencing. And these bodies and these groups of believers trying to think, find out what part of the Bible are we going to stick to and what parts are we going to change for culture and time. And you see them as a division as all these different bodies begin to break apart. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he also speaks about the unity of the church and he speaks of there being one body in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. That one body of the church. Well, why is it then that there are so many different groups out there? Why is it that we don't have a, a solid foundation that we can build upon? And I think that is it. That we need to come back to this, the scriptures I want to show you this morning and remember that Christ is the head. And that the gospel of the death and resurrection is our foundation. And I find that churches will fragment when they move away from Christ being the head. From the Bible being the authority. What He taught and what the apostles and prophets taught in the Bible. We want unity. We want oneness. It all comes back to the truth that we read about in the Scriptures. When we go to the Gospels and we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we go to the Epistles, when we listen to Paul and to Peter and to John and James and Jude and the writers of the Scriptures and what they tell us to do. How the church behaved and how it lived. And why we need the church and why we need the mission of it. And so I thought it again very fitting this morning to think about what Christ has done with the church. So Ephesians chapter 1, 22 to 23, I want you to look at this passage here. And it says here, uh, Paul says, he put all things in subjection under his feet. That's God has put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus Christ. Everything in the world as far as the authorities and the governments, all things are under his authority and his rule. And that's a prophecy of fulfillment from Psalm 110. And he gave him head over all things to the church. And I want to emphasize this morning, all things to the church. Everything. When I have a, you know, a great idea or, or someone else has a great idea about, let's do this. You know, and, and, and church comes up with an idea. The first thing that needs to come to mind is, what does the Bible say about it? What does Christ say about it? What do the apostles and prophets say about it who've, who've written about it? What happened in the first century? And what happened in the church that Christ built and established then? Why? Because Christ, He is the head over all things. Now, He being the head, we see here that it says here that which the church is His body. And it, would, it makes no sense for there to be one head and multiple bodies. And today, it looks like a world like that where you have multiple churches claiming to be of that body. Something's wrong. Something's off. And I think it's fitting to put these things in the context of the world that we live in. So we see here the church, his body, and then it says the fullness of him. In other words, the church is the fullness of Christ. In other words, if you were to look for Christ today, you see it in every faithful Christian in their good deeds and the works that they do. That we are the fullness of him that fills all in all. This is our identity. This is what it means to be a Christian, is to be a part of that community and a part of that body. When we're baptized, it says in Acts chapter 2, as we mentioned before, and on the day of Pentecost, those who were baptized, it says they were added to their number. They were added to the church. Acts 2 and verse 41 and verse 47. And you see in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 that when you're baptized, you're added to the body and into the church. It's a part of God's plan. It's a part of Jesus' mission. And it's something we shouldn't set aside. It is vitally important. 
about who we are. And God bless you for being here this morning because we realize that. We realize the importance of the assembly and the importance of the church, the body of Christ. Another passage that comes to mind is Colossians 1. And I thought about making this the scripture reading this morning. Uh, And you can start in verse 15 if you want to look at this passage. And what you see here is that Christ has authority over all. He has the preeminence. He is great, greater than all. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the first one into creation and the one by which all things were made, were created through the word of God, and that word became flesh, according to the Gospel of John. Amazing things that you can read about Christ here. And I want you to read this passage as well, Colossians 1.18. It says, And He, that's Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the head. Who is the beginning? So Christ began the church by His death and His burial and rising again from the dead, those who believe in Him. It says right there, He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the hope of the resurrection of, of, is to come for us. As Christians, we believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. And we look forward to, as the Bible says, a day in which we will do the same when Christ comes again. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says that we will rise as Christ rose from the dead. And so that began the church and the faith at that point. And when you go to Acts chapter 2 again, and you look at the establishment of the church, what did Peter preach about that day? He got up and he preached to everybody and he said, the tomb is empty for a reason. He says, the scriptures prophesied this. They told you this would happen. That Christ would not be left to corruption and decay. Would not be left to Hades, but that He would rise from the dead. A fulfillment of Psalm 16 and verse 10. And so we see this in Christ. We see the message of the resurrection. And then it says here about Christ that in all things He may have the preeminence. He is above all. He should be preeminent in the church. And I'm very concerned about many bodies and groups out there. And I don't want to look down upon uh, specific denominations. What I want is I, I want to plead with everybody to come to Christ, to follow Christ to His church. Follow Jesus to His church. You know, the only way you're going to find that, you're going to see that is by opening your Bible. You can have all the opinions and reasoning that you have, but you're going to have to read. You're going to have to open up the book of Acts and read through it. You have to consider the words of Christ throughout the Gospels. You have to go through the epistles and say, what did that church look like? I encourage you to think about that this morning. Things to think about in regards to Christ being the head of the church. Peter is very adamant about this in 1 Peter chapter 5, and he's speaking to elders. He says to the elders there, and he says, listen, you have a chief pastor. You set the example, but you have a chief pastor. And he's telling the elders pastors, okay? So the elders are the pastors. They're going to be the shepherds in the church. But Jesus Christ is the chief pastor. He is the chief shepherd of the church. And one thing you see in the scriptures is you don't see any other kind of chief pastor or an executive or a president over a denominational board. You don't see archbishops or cardinals or a pope. They're not in the Bible. You see Christ leading. He sends out his apostles He has others who have their hands laid on by the apostles who are prophets. They write, they produce the scriptures. They give us the instructions for the government of the church, which are elders and deacons. There's no hierarchy. This is the order in which Christ built the church. And I think many have gotten away from from this. You can see it. You can see why there's so so much division today and so so many denominations today. A denomination means a, a named division. 
And those who have broken apart in the groups and the purpose of the churches of Christ are not to call ourselves the church of Christ and to stand out or to look down upon others. It is to say that we are of Christ and we're seeking to be the church of Christ, every one of us. And that we want Christ to be the head of the church and no man on earth. No book or any other text besides the Bible. That's our creed. That's our belief. That's our faith. And I often hear people say, well, all the church is the same. Aren't we all just going to the same places? And it seems that even they can't agree on that. The, the strife and the division, the contentions there have revealed that there's a problem. Our most wrong. Well, even, again, the bodies fall, uh, falling apart. These different denominations show that they disagree, again, with one another and consider the others wrong. And what do we do about this? I think there's some important scriptures to, to think about. One thing I want to note this morning is there are certain distinctives that I see today. Now, if we backed up 500 years, my list would be different right here. And if I went back 2,000 years, con- contrast to the world or any other body or group that might arise, my list would be different. But right now, sometimes you know some of the things that make the churches of Christ unique and different. People come into the churches of Christ and the first thing they look around in the assembly and they're looking for, and it's not there. You know what I'm talking about. So... But there are very specific things that are distinctive. So in most churches of Christ, you'll find a baptistry, which we have back here. And baptism is an important part, and I think very much a dividing point from the churches of Christ from the rest of the world. And if I could change this or alter this or heard somebody else that's presented in any other way, I can't. I have to go with what the Bible says. And what I see about baptism is this, that it is a barren water that is for believers, repentant believers, and it's for believers to rise to newness of life. It is at that point that Colossians says where all of our sins are washed away. Acts 2.38 says that too. Acts 22.16 says that too. 1 Peter 3.21 says that it's a baptism that we are saved as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a subject that I cannot compromise on. I see that the baptism is so essential that it partakes in the actual death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is the gospel. I can't give up on that. And Romans chapter 6 tells us all about that. Well, what, what happens when you become a Christian? Well, you repent, you die to your old self, you're buried in the waters of baptism. It's a burial and you rise a new life. So I'm dead, and then I'm buried dead, and I rise alive. That tells me something, that that baptism and rising out of it is a significant marker. Go read Romans 6. Check it out. Look at it. Look at it again. All right, secondly, communion stands out to me, doesn't it? It probably stands out to you. When I look at the Bible and I look at the church, I see the church partaking of communion every first day of the week. Every first day of the week, I see them assembling in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, when you assemble together, it's to do what? It's to break bread and to eat the Lord's Supper. In fact, he gets onto them. He says, you're gathering together and it's not for the Lord's Supper. Something's wrong. There's factions among you. Even back in the first century, there was a lot of trials and difficulties with false teachers and churches breaking apart or almost breaking apart in the, in the situation there at Corinth. But communion, it's a partaking in the body and the blood of Christ. It's serious. And and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Nobody will take the words of Jesus and what he says about communion and says, you know what? I think I can make it better. I think I can alter it and change it. It needs another prayer. It needs some lamb's meat. It needs whatever you want to add to it. I, I, I remember growing up, a preacher said, if I were to take the Lord's Supper and we were to change the um, fruit of the vine to Coca-Cola and then, you know, change the bread to 
something else. I can't remember what he said. So I, remember, I remember one of them saying rice or rice cakes. And he said, would you, would you have a problem with that? And it's like, well, Christ did it right the first time. You, we wouldn't mess with it. We wouldn't alter it. So the communion is an important thing. And I think when you look today, there are a lot of people who have gotten away from that. Thirdly, congregational singing. I'm glad to hear that there are a number of churches out, um, outside of the churches of Christ who are coming back and saying, you know what, we don't need the big bands, we don't need the big praise teams and the choirs, what we need is congregational singing. It's in the Bible for a reason, it has a purpose. When, when we read the scriptures and we see that we are to praise God in harmony with one mouth, Romans 15 and verse 6, that we are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that it's everybody engaged in the activity, that congregational sim, uh, singing is so important I don't want to alter it. There is no other music mentioned for the gathering of the assembly of the saints in the Bible. I'm not going to change it. I often, I often think about this too. I would encourage churches to get away from any kind of hierarchy or any kind of group where there's one group telling the other churches what to do. What we see in the Bible, again, Christ is the head and elders and deacons serve in the church. Elders lead, the deacons serve. This is clearly prescribed throughout the Bible. And why anybody would alter that or change that, I don't know. I thank God for it. I thank God for every church that has a great elders that I've been able to work under and serve under. There's no replacing it. And you know what it's like when you start taking these things that were right here in the Bible and you read about them and someone begins to twist them or alter them. It's just not right. And then lastly, I would add to that, just the general biblical teaching and preaching that many have gone away from today. In regards to the Bible being all-sufficient and inerrant and infallible, the teachings about creation, the teachings about marriage, and I think for why these denominations are breaking apart, it all comes down to gender or homosexuality or all these various issues. And you can resolve that very quickly by going to the Bible and reading it. And seeing what the scriptures say. And so I think about that. For what would you compromise from the apostles and prophets? What would you change in regards to the church that you read about in the scriptures? And I, There's no way. It, you would have to be a very proud and boastful person to alter or change anything in regards to the church. There's a reason why this is happening today. I get to meet a lot of different preachers and pastors from different churches. And I know this after asking them questions and, and saying, why do you do this and this and how are you handling this situation? That you have some of them that are not reading their Bible and not studying them. They don't know their Bibles and they exclude it. There's some. Many of them say, yes, I know the Bible says that, but we've decided not to do that. I asked one pastor of a church before, he's like, why do you not have communion every first day of the week? Well, we decided as a congregation to be better to do it monthly. Well, can, can you do that? I mean, and maybe you, you take that, that liberty, but there's something wrong with that thinking, isn't there, to say, okay, I see the way it is in the Bible, but I want to ch I change it. I, wanna, I want it to be different. This is what we see happening today. Uh, Paul says Timothy about this. He says in the latter days, this is what's going to happen. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3-4, through 4, For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. 
They're going to change the, change the doctrine and the teaching. And it says, by wanting to have their ears tickled. And there's a lot of big churches out there today that they just want their ears to be tickled. They just want to hear something that makes them feel good. And it says, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers. They will pile them up, literally is what it means in Greek. They will accumulate in accordance to their own desires. Not in accordance to what Christ has said, but they're going to pile them up, accumulate teachers according to what they want, their own desires. Just think about that. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so I've heard those preachers and pastors say, I know the Bible says that, but we're going to go a different direction. I think about this passage here. I think about what's happening in the world today. And some might say, well, isn't unity more important? Unity's vitally important. And it's something you've got to work at. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that you've got to endeavor to keep the unity of the peace in the body of Christ. That is something that we have to pursue. And you know how you can have unity in the church? It's going to take this. It's going to take unity. It's going to take this. Opening your Bibles and reading them and studying with others. It's going to say, okay, I want to see what the Bible has to say on this. I don't want to study it and see it with others. Someone comes to me and says, what about this? I appreciate it. I love it. They said, there's something missing here. Why are we not doing this? Where is, where, where is the reason for, for what you're doing in the churches of Christ? And, you know, every one of us who are, are mature Christians should be able to open our Bible and say, this is why we do what we do. Unity is not more important than the teachings of Jesus. In fact, the teachings of Jesus, the apostles and prophets, the Bible is the foundation of our unity. There's no unity in any other way. There's no more oneness, whatever you might pursue. You know, and I hear some people say we're ecumenical. And so even though we have strong disagreements, we can unite. And maybe in the political area we can do that, but that's about it. As far as what the Bible says... We cannot compromise. I want you to listen to what Jesus prayed. The night of which He was betrayed, and the next day He he would be crucified. This is His prayer to God. In John 17, verses 22 to 23, Jesus says, in the context of that prayer, and that prayer is worth another sermon itself, He says, The glory in which you have given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one. So Christ's prayer is He's talking about those who come to faith in by the preaching of the apostles who come to Christ and believe in the resurrection who become a part of the church these believers that they may be one that's what Jesus prayed for well if Jesus prayed to the father that the church be one then shouldn't it be what's happening he says just as we are one Jesus and the father he says I and them and you and me and that they may be perfected in unity. They may be completed in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. We want the world to know who Christ is. It takes unity among brethren. I'm going to urge you this morning, coming to this point, is please read the Bible. Read the Scriptures. Pick up the text again. You've drifted away from it. I encourage everybody who's not reading, get your Bible and lay it out somewhere in your room. Your favorite place, open it up. Yes, get a paper Bible, not just the one on your phone. Open it up so that every day you can see it right in front of you. You can stop and read those scriptures. Take time. I would encourage you the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, maybe you get coffee or water or whatever you you get to drink, sit down with the scriptures and prayerfully read it. We need Christians who know their Bible. We need Christians who say, this is 
This is what the church looked like in the beginning. This is what Christ built. This is how he organized it. This is how we are to be united. And we can't compromise that. So why does what church I worship with matter when I am saved by grace? You often hear that. And I would encourage you at this point that, yes, we're saved by grace through faith. That's certainly true. But grace is not permission to put aside the commandments of God. As we had read this morning from John 14, Aaron read for us. In John 14, Jesus is talking there and Jesus is telling his apostles and he says, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it does matter where I worship because it matters if a church loves God and will keep his commandments. In fact, 1 John chapter 5 says, if you love the brethren, if you love the church, you're also going to keep God's commandments. If you love other Christians. And so, yes, we have grace and we need every bit of it. But that's not going to tell me that I can compromise my faith, that I can give up any part of what Jesus says, that I can turn over any part of the church over to somebody else, that we can change or distort something because of grace. No, if you're saved by grace through faith, you're going to live by faith and you're going to believe faith, believe in the words of Christ and not compromise them. So I want to conclude with two other scriptures this morning. In 2 John chapter well, there isn't a chapter. It's verses 9 through 11. I'm used to saying chapter every time. Second Ch- John, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what John says. He says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Does that include a lot of churches today? I think very so. Very much so. I can't be the ultimate judge of that. But I can see when those who have drifted away from Christ and I can urge them to come back. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ and not have God, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting of joy. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Those are some strong words from John there and a warning. Christ is the head of the church. So what I want to emphasize this morning, and that we not be led away by our own opinions or anything but the truth, and that if we love God and we're faithful to Him, we're going to recognize that, and we're going to follow Him. And so I urge you this morning, read the Bible. Read the words of Jesus, the apostles and prophets, and follow Christ to His church. There's no other instruction I can give. You know, you might have contentions in your family. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about churches. There's a lot of problems with that. And I realize that even this morning there might be some kind of tension in regards to that. But there's no tension in this. Follow Jesus to the church that He built. Follow Jesus to the church that He bought with His blood. The only way you're going to find there is by getting the map out and following the directions. Go to Christ. We have a warning here in Galatians chapter 1, 8 and 9, I think is a fitting conclusion. Paul says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we have proclaimed to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed to the greatest extent. So these false teachers, Jesus warned us about false teachers, about wolves who will come in sheep's clothing, about false preachers who will come out and not teach the truth. Here's the truth. 
You can't alter the gospel. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when someone removes baptism as participating and uniting us with Christ, which is clearly in the Bible, from the gospel, they're altering the gospel. And that usually is the breaking point. And then he says here, and we have said before, and so I say again, notice when Paul repeats himself, he's being abundantly clear. He's being redundant for a reason. He's making a point. As we have said before, say I say, so I say again, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you received, that's from the apostles and prophets, from Christ himself, let him be accursed. Those are strong words. I didn't intend this morning to have so many guests for such a strong sermon this morning. But I hope that you'll consider these words and take them to heart that will motivate you and help you and encourage you. The Lord adds those who are baptized to the church. I want to be a part of that church. Open your Bible and go back to Acts 2, and I'm going to encourage you this morning. If you don't know what to do next, just begin reading Acts chapter 2. Hear the gospel, and you see what they say there. They say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. In the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says again there in the text, the Lord will add you to his church. And it's from then we remain devoted. We have a group and a community of Christians that Christ has given to us to help us to stay committed and focused on Jesus Christ. Upon his words, his teachings, his action, his examples. We need that. This morning, if you need to put on Christ in baptism, we encourage you to come forward. You need prayers. Whatever your needs are, you can come now. Let's stand and sing together.